This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM. As one of the world's largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM. When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong. Well, good morning and welcome to the Saturday Morning Show. That's our weekly get-together to talk agriculture and agribusiness. I'm Orion Samuelson and I thank you for being with us here on this Saturday morning. And thanks to Matt for doing a good job as he usually does. And uh, it's going to be fun to uh, join Steve and Johnny next week when... uh, Matt is out of the uh, Midwest, and uh, Steve and Johnny will be filling in a week from today. But Saturday morning show, and uh, we're going to be talking, first of all, to uh, a gentleman who is involved in a company that produces hemp seed. And hemp has become the very popular crop that's being talked about a great deal for farmers across the country who are looking for alternative sources of income besides corn and wheat and soybeans. And uh, hemp has now been approved in the most recent farm bill. The rules have been put in place by Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, on how to uh, deal with the hemp crop. And uh, the uh, company that is one of several that will be providing seed and is providing seed is the uh, flora.com company and uh, we're going to talk to the uh, ceo of that company coming up and then this week of course a big convention in san antonio one that i've always enjoyed attending but uh, because of mobility challenges and not able to make the trip but max armstrong did Max was there for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association annual convention, and he'll be checking in a little bit later to talk the economics of the cattle industry at the moment. And uh, then uh, we'll be spending some time talking about uh, scholarships and programs that are available for uh, young people who are involved in agriculture. And, of course, going through the stories on coronavirus this morning, one of the first Chinese doctors who tried to warn the world about the coronavirus died yesterday from the illness as Beijing declared a people's war on the fast-spreading outbreak. 34-year-old doctor at a hospital in Wuhan, the city hardest hit by the outbreak, He and seven others were reprimanded by Wuhan police last month for spreading, quote, illegal and false information about the coronavirus. Uh, The doctor had told a group of doctors on Chinese social media about seven cases he saw and posted a picture of a test result in an effort to help other doctors. But uh, the coronavirus is not only having an impact on the health of people, but uh, also on markets from stock markets 
to agricultural markets, and an American became the first confirmed non-Chinese victim of the new coronavirus. That word from U.S. officials yesterday. A Japanese man also died with symptoms consistent with the disease as the epidemic looked all set to pass the death toll from SARS back at the beginning of this century. The 60-year-old U.S. citizen died on February 6 in Wuhan, and that's the epicenter of the virus outbreak in the central Chinese province. So we continue to uh, talk a great deal about the disease. Cruise ships with passengers on board that can't get out, and uh, we'll keep you posted on that uh, on a daily basis throughout this uh, situation until it tends to get cleared up. And of course, as uh, Matt mentioned earlier today, uh, a sad day for those of us who remember and worked with Uncle Bobby. Uh, Today is the day of the plane crash, the mid-air collision that resulted in the plane that Bob was uh, in crashing on top of a hospital in the northern suburbs. And uh, we remember that day uh, with a great deal of sadness because we lost Uncle Bobby and uh, 20 years ago. Well, we're going to uh, talk about uh, hemp production and uh, how to get the seed and where to get it and how to grow the crop. We'll do that when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. I'm joined this morning by Jeffrey Yeros, who is the CEO of a company called Flura, F-L-U-R-A. And he joins me on the line to talk about a crop that we used to grow way back when I was a kid on the farm in Wisconsin, basically making rope. But now the product that we're talking about is, well, being able to do all sorts of things. So let's say good morning to Jeffrey and give me the background on the company called Flora. All right. Thank you, Orion. Nice to be here with you. Uh, Flora is uh, primarily a seed and genetic company. Um, We uh, have participated in all aspects of the industry from seed to sale. Um, so we're just not producing uh, seeds in a lab and uh, handing it over to farmers. We have taken seeds, uh, put them in the ground, uh, and gone through the harvest process to the, through the sales process. So if you're thinking about uh, getting into hemp and you're unsure of how to do it, um, it it's good to uh, consider us because uh, – We've gone through we've gone through uh, a lot of the ups and downs, and uh, we've stumbled, and uh, uh, we we kind of know what you're going to be going through um, because uh, you know many people can take seeds and put them in the ground and hope for the best, but there's a pretty extensive process uh, to take this from seed to sale. And of course, hemp production is now part of the farm bill. There are rules that were issued. Uh, and the last couple of weeks or so on how we deal with flora as a crop and how we deal with the uh, hemp production. But when you and I visited uh, a few weeks ago, one of my concerns and questions is, if you produce hemp with your seed, 
where and how do you market it? And so let's talk about that. Okay, that's a very that's a very good question. A um, couple things to keep in mind. Um, uh, hemp is extremely profitable because it's it's an it's a new industry. It's a new old industry, we'll call it. Um, primarily, the um, most of the people that are growing it right now are growing it for uh, the nutraceutical market, CBD, which everyone sees everywhere. Um, the the downside of the market right now is there is limited infrastructure. Um, and, and that's frankly because the farm bill didn't go through until December of 2018. So we're only about 14 months into this. Uh, people are ramping up, um, but it's like anything. It's a legitimate concern of having an, an actual uh, a plan with the crop if you grow it. Because after you do grow it, you do need to know how you're going to harvest it, how you're going to dry it, and then ultimately who you're going to sell it to or process it. And um, we do, um, we as a company have chosen uh, to help our farmers uh, find places to take it. Um, But that that whole uh, vertical is still being built out as we speak because it's new. But that's one of the reasons it's so profitable because it's new. And it's, uh, you know, that's why, you know, there is a little more risk involved, but there's also a high return. So you have to weigh that. So the production side of it, did you develop a new seed for hemp or is it the uh, hemp that we've known about for years? Is it new? It's. Um, CBD uh, as a, a nutraceutical is newer. Um, the difference is is that years ago when they were growing it, say for the war for rope and for clothing, um, and even as you know further back for the sails on boats, um, that 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 hemp does have CBD in it, um, but the hemp we're growing now for the most part for the CBD market. We have bred it to be higher in CBD. So the stock is very similar in a lot of ways to what uh, people in the past grew, but also the CBD level is higher. And talk to me about uh, the uh, uh, state differences in rules and laws on growing hemp because you almost have to come up with a special uh, set of rules for this state or that state. Is that complicated? Uh, yeah, you need to you need to know that. You could obviously talk to um, people like ourselves who are on top of it, but it is something that changes. Uh, really, the big thing is you got to know how they measure THC, and then if you if you have a crop that goes over the THC limit, you need to know what your state wants you to do with it. Some states uh, want it destroyed. Others are more sympathetic to the farmer and give them a little more flexibility as long as they have a place to take it. Um, uh, you know, there's there's basically two ways that states look at this crop. They either look at the total THC or they look at what's called the Delta 9 THC. And the reason there's a difference is because one is the active psychoactive THC, and that's the Delta-9. There is THC, though, beyond the Delta-9 in 
the hemp plant, but it is not psychoactive unless you would burn it or something. Um, so each many there's a there's a few states that are total THC, um, but the majority of them are still uh, Delta nine. And uh, everyone is waiting to kind of see what direction the USDA is going to go on all of this. And then let's talk about growing it, because uh, when I was a kid on my farm in Wisconsin, we raised tobacco. And uh, we don't raise that much anymore because of the change in smoking habits. But uh, I've talked to some former older tobacco farmers who say, is it? like producing tobacco when we produce hemp what's the growing season when do we plant and when do we harvest uh in the midwest we would plant in june and we would depending on the strain uh you would harvest anywhere between 90 to 150 days after that so you could be looking at three to five months i would say the sweet spot if i was a midwestern farmer um would be something around like a something around a four month strain, and the reason I say that is because the three month strains have lower yields. The full strains are great and have high yields, but you could run into frost and everything else. If you're in a more southern climate, um, you you know you could grow uh, something that goes the full let's call it five months, but you need to be aware of what strain you're growing uh, because humidity. Uh, could be a factor, and uh, humidity is not always kind to some of these strains because mold can become an issue. These are just all things you need to know, and you really, if you're if you're dealing with any legitimate uh, seed company, they're going to be able to have a conversation with you about it. And let's, uh, before we go any further, share your address or how farmers can reach you to talk about acquiring seed and to talk about growing the crop. Where do we get in touch with you? Uh, You can go to our website, uh, flura.com. That's F-L-U-R-A.com. And there's uh, information there. Uh, There's a seed uh, link uh, there where you can go and request our our seed catalog. Uh, There should also be um, a number there where you can call and uh, chat with uh, any of our uh, growers or farmers. Uh, We're we're happy to help out. I think that that is... uh, something that we're really putting a lot of focus on we want to make sure farmers are successful and we want you to feel open to be able to ask questions um, because you're going to have a lot of them uh it's a new crop and it's you know it's not this is not the fourth or fifth generation uh doing soybeans or corn this is this is new it's exciting um but you, you just really need to know what you're getting into before you jump in And an interesting development, uh, since we scheduled this interview for today, the town of Kendall, Wisconsin, which was about 15 miles from the farm where I grew up, had a high school building that's no longer being used, but they do have a new company occupying the old high school, Biosun. Biosun in Kendall, Wisconsin, and they will take the hemp that's produced and convert it into some of the products that you talked about. So, And the state of Wisconsin has also started a Wisconsin Hemp Association for farmers who are going to be producing it. Do you think we'll be finding that kind of development in other states? 
Yeah, many of your states do have hemp association. I do recommend getting involved with those. Um, a lot of them are new, um, but that is uh, um, that's a good place to kind of you know, meet other people that are thinking about getting into this or people that have already experienced it. Um, I do. Um, I think that the majority of the states have something like that at this time. Well, we're looking forward to talking with you more about the new crop, new old crop, as you called it. And uh, so, Jeffrey, thank you for the information. Flora, F-L-U-R-A dot com with us here on the Saturday Morning Show. We're at 25 minutes after 5 o'clock here on the Saturday Morning Show and a little bit more on the coronavirus and its impact on markets uh, in agriculture and also uh, in the equity markets around the world. First of all, uh, the uh, Treasury Secretary, Larry Kudlow, who has been a spokesperson on a lot of this activity, said that uh, the Chinese President Xi Jinping told President Trump that China would still meet its phase one trade deal purchasing targets despite delays that are being linked to the coronavirus. Uh, Treasury Secretary Kudlow, who spoke following a phone call between the two top leaders earlier yesterday, said there was no tension between the United States and China over the handling of the fast-moving virus outbreak. So the word is uh, they're probably going to be impacted a little bit uh, in getting phase one deal completed with the additional purchases of American agricultural products, but uh, that indeed it will in certain times be delayed. And also we note that uh, China, large size crushers in China this week, kicked off a buying spree soon after the end of Chinese New Year lunar holiday and purchased at least a million metric tons of soybeans, not from the U.S., but from Brazil. That, according to four market sources, China total purchases this week could have hit 1.3 million metric tons, according to one of the trade sources in the market. Ten cargoes were uh, heard traded on Tuesday alone as gross margins in China improved sharply thanks to a rebound of domestic soy meal and soy oil futures and weak cash premiums due to low freight costs. So they are doing some buying, not from us at the moment, uh, uh, to the amount that we talked about after the phase one trade deal, but at least uh, demand for soybeans and soybean oil certainly picking up in the Chinese market. Still working on some of the trade deals, the uh, European Union, and uh, we, uh, after we signed the uh, U.S.-Canada-Mexico trade agreement, NAFTA II as I call it, uh, Mexico complained about some of the uh, rules that uh, will be followed in that trade agreement. So it's not going to be all a bed of roses when uh, we get the agreement in place 
and get it functioning again, there will always be some trade disputes and discussions. We've learned that over the last half century in working out trade agreements with many different uh, countries, many different parts of the world. Well, there's more to come as we reach the halfway mark here on the Saturday morning show. Uh, We'll go down to uh, San Antonio, check in with Max Armstrong at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. That and more coming up on the Saturday morning show. Well, thank you for joining us here on the Saturday Morning Show. We're at the halfway mark of this week's edition and uh, running into uh, a lot of people from back in the Midwest here in the Valley of the Sun, Phoenix and Scottsdale, Arizona. And about a week and a half, spring training will be getting underway. As a matter of fact, a lot of the team baseball players from various teams across the country already here working out. And uh, there will be a big influx of baseball fans coming into the valley here in Phoenix and Scottsdale as the spring training season gets underway. Great time for restaurants and hotels because uh, they're pretty well filled. And uh, you add the baseball fans to the snowbirds who come in every year during the winter from Canada and the Midwest. And uh, it's always fun to visit with farmers who uh, do manage to find a little time before planting season gets underway to come to uh, Arizona. So we say welcome to you when you come out here, and we'll be heading back to the Midwest uh, next week. So do something about the winter weather and make sure it's nice and warm when we come back. Right now, we say welcome to Samuelson Says, that weekly visit where I express my opinions. And this week, talking about the fact that it's finally over. Finally, it's over. And hopefully, the kids in Congress can get back to doing the business we sent them to do legislate and deal with the issues that have been neglected the past several months, and then quit acting like kids. The State of the Union address was a perfect example of grown-ups from both parties acting like kids. The Speaker of the House not giving the traditional welcome and proper introduction to the President. The President not shaking hands with the Speaker. The Congressional members in white refusing to stand to honor the special guests, many of them heroes, and then the Speaker tearing up the State of the Union address when the President finished. These are adults who are supposed to govern our nation. Well, let me return to my feelings about what has happened in the wasted time and millions of dollars we have spent in the White House and the Congress the past several months. Do your impeaching on election day in November instead of taking away the votes of Democrats, Republicans, and Independents, all voters, and turning the election over to members of Congress. That leads me to the point that you have heard me make many times. The need for term limits for all members of Congress to make the point that service in Congress is not a lifetime job or career. We have 
term limits on the executive branch? Why not the legislative branch and the judicial branch? Finally, I repeat my opening statement as strongly as I can. Vote on election day and give you and everybody else the opportunity to choose our leaders. That should be impeachment day for all of us. So now, to the members of Congress, let's quit acting like kids and get back to work doing what's right for our country. My thoughts on Samuelson Says, a presentation of Nexstar Media Group, and that takes us to 24 minutes before 6 o'clock here on the Saturday morning show. Max Armstrong standing by to check in from uh, uh, Texas with his take on the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And uh, that is coming up, well, I tell you what, right now. Because at the Cattlemen's Beef Association, Max, one of the main topics dealt with economics and profitability of the cattle industry. Well, of course, the economics of the business can be challenging. Yet at Cattle Facts, they watch that every moment of every day. It's great to have Randy Block here with us, Chief Executive Officer of Cattle Facts, longtime team member of Cattle Facts. How long have you been there? Max, I've been blessed. I've had the opportunity to work with the cattlemen and the Cattle Facts group now for nearly 40 years. So I'm in my 40th year now. and. Uh, I don't feel like I've ever had a day of work. You've seen a lot of ups and downs in the business, but have you ever seen as much volatility in the, the cattle market? Well, this last decade, we've uh, we've gone through an incredible amount of volatility, some to the upside, some to the downside, and a lot of it on both sides of the market during the course of a year. So it's really unprecedented. But again, I think when we look at these global markets that we now operate in, this is the new normal. Well, as we look at the numbers that we have here, the beef cow herd is now declining, correct? It is. It's shrinking a little bit. But uh, honestly, I think where we are in the cattle cycle is we're really going to flatten the herd out. I do not see the industry going through a liquidation phase unless it's drought-driven. Demand has been so strong that uh, and with the expansion of these trade deals, as we look at the renewed access to a level playing field into Japan, uh, expanded access into China, we really don't expect we're going to go through much of a liquidation. You mentioned drought, and, and we do keep an eye on that drought monitor map. Uh, there are things that can jump out at you from time to time when you look at it. Oh, there really are, and Dr. Art Douglas has done a wonderful job for our producers for years, and he thinks we're going to go through a little bit of a drying phase. We're not going to a big drought situation, but he did, I believe he'll share with our uh, folks this week at the Outlook sessions that uh, he does think we're going to have a weak La Nina that we're going to be dealing with in parts of the country. Calving time can be challenging sometimes for some of our producers to be sure. How's that going? Well, I think for the most part we're getting along pretty good here in the early stages. We'll really get into the middle of the calving season here in the next uh, late February on it through April. That's always a challenging time in here in the Northern Plains and Central Plains region. Last year was a difficult time, as we all remember, one of the wettest years in history when we go back and we think about Kansas north on into the Dakotas and, and uh, Montana and those regions. Uh, 
nobody ever wants to complain about moisture, but we were probably on the verge of being a little bit too wet in some of those areas. Some of the longer-term maps show a lot of cold over the heartland. Well, over the next uh, few weeks here, that can be challenging, too, in a number of ways, can't it? Oh, it really can, you know, especially in so many of these areas. These ranching operations are vast. We can't bring all these cattle into the barns. These, the, these cows are calving outside, and so... Uh, um, always cold, cold, cold temperatures can be a challenge. Taking a look at the feedlot numbers, we recently saw some inventory numbers. Where do we stand there? Our feedlot numbers continue to stay very strong. We've got about 2.5% more cattle on feed, some of the biggest on-feed numbers in the history of our industry, uh, especially the on-feed numbers from Kansas South, Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas. They're very robust. But we've done a great job of marketing cattle in here, so... Uh, we anticipate that we'll have to harvest another quarter of a million head of fed cattle this year than last year. Uh, those forecasts haven't changed, but uh, again, we'll test the system. We're in a correction now in the fed cattle market, aren't we? Well, we've had a little bit of a correction, you know, centered is around. Is it just there. a correction? Well, I think it's this is just a correction. You know, I think we've gone through a situation with the coronavirus. We've seen a major exodus of. Uh, the fund monies out of the commodity futures, the live cattle futures, seen about 50,000 contracts come out here in the last week. So I think we're just at a spot in here where we'll start to launch. We'll still have a spring rally into cash. Are there some experiences uh, in the past that give us some guidance? Just looking back at the SARS thing, can we draw any conclusions to the direction of this just by gauging what happened back then? Well, I think we can. You know, you go back whenever you have an event like we're dealing with today, you're looking at a global slowdown. Global GDP is likely going to shrink a little bit, especially in China where they've quarantined so many folks. That'll have an impact on slowing down U.S. exports for a period of time. So um, obviously we've got a few challenges ahead. Let's look at that demand side. Uh, first of all, domestically, it looks like we're not going to have recession this year. Many of the economists are saying, is it full speed ahead, or do we have to worry about some of these international ramifications, even filtering back into the U.S. economy? Well, I think you always have to be worried about them, but, you know, if we just look at what's happened over the last several years, demand for protein has been incredible. High-quality protein, what we're seeing domestic-wise, Beef demand has been phenomenal. Uh, pork demand in the global landscape has been uh, continues to be big. 25% of our pork production, in excess of 25%, is exported. Poultry, 17, 18%. So these numbers are pretty strong. We think we're going to have another strong year. You know, it's swine fever. Who knows? I mean, this has been a story now for 18 months. Uh, we think pork exports are going to grow substantially. We think poultry exports are going to grow substantially. With Australia's major drought, big drop in production in Australia, we think that opens the door for the U.S. to be the largest supplier in Japan within the next one to two years again. So I think that bodes pretty well for a very strong exports scene here for the U.S. meat industry. The risks are abundant everywhere Absolutely. you look. I mean, that's that's the thing that we keep being reminded of. And the producer needs to be very aggressive in managing the risks, correct, Randy? Oh, I don't think there's any doubt about it. I think just look at the last 12 months. The last 12 months, we had three moves in six months' time, from April to November, that were six, $16 a hundred to $25 a hundred. Three of them. 
I mean, we're talking about $200 a head moves in that short a period of time. And again, you could see it in the last two weeks with coronavirus. Our markets basically adjusted $10 a hundred on the futures. Now the cash hasn't had to move that much, but the futures markets anticipating a worst case scenario, these markets can move a lot in a hurry. As far as feedlots are concerned, uh, there aren't many big worries about feed costs right now, correct? I mean, generally speaking, we're in pretty good shape? We're in pretty good shape from a feed cost standpoint, uh, much, much better shape from a feeding performance standpoint across most of the feeding belt. Uh, I'm optimistic about our cattle feeding margins. Actually, I would look at it this way. Every segment of the cattle producing industry in 2020 is going to be profitable. How many times can we say that in our careers, Max? I mean, we're not going to be cannibalizing each other. Cow-calf producers are going to be profitable, stockers, backgrounders, cattle feeders, and packers. I think that's a great story for our industry, and I think it tells the story of how good demand really is. Costs need to be managed, though, do they not? I mean, producers need to keep an eye on that. Oh, we have to. You know, we've got to manage our businesses. These things can move, and if we go to sleep, they can change in a hurry. But the margins have been there for us to go out and capture. We've actually seen a higher percentage of the U.S. cattle feeders that have become risk managers here over the course of the last several years. We have less than a half minute. How about some highlights of prices, fed cattle prices looking forward? Well, the last several years on fed cattle prices, we basically have traded up to highs that have approached 130, and our lows have been back around $1.05 or 6 I think we're going to be in about the same kind of range this next year with production up a couple of percent, poultry production up another 3 to 4, pork production up 2.5. So we got a lot of protein. Uh, calf prices, we think they're going to be higher. We think feeder cattle prices are going to be a little bit higher this year. Exports will be strong. Again, I think the big thing, the big change in 2020 is an improvement in profitability for all segments. And it's always good to see you. Thanks for your insight, sir. Randy Block, Cattle Facts. Great Take care. Great to be with you, Max. Thanks and appreciate all the work you do out there and serving our producers all across the United States. We are about 12 minutes away from news time here on WGN Radio, and it's becoming that time of the year when I like to do something each year to help parents or graduated high school students from getting over sticker shock of what a college degree will be costing you. And there are scholarships available. But as I've said so many times, these scholarships don't come looking for you. You have to look for them, and they're out there. I do want to mention one of the scholarship programs that came across my desk this week for uh, people involved with the Illinois Farm Bureau. Applications are now available for nurse practitioner scholarships through the Illinois Farm Bureau Rural Nurse Practitioner Scholarship Program. There will be 10 scholarships worth $4,000 each granted this year. The scholarship program now in its 28th year helps to encourage and develop the pool of rural health practitioners to help meet primary health care needs in rural Illinois. Students who receive scholarships agree to practice for two years in an approved rural area in the state. To be eligible for the scholarship, students must be Illinois residents and be a registered nurse 
accepted or enrolled in an accredited nurse practitioner program. And funding is provided by the Rural Illinois Medical Student Assistance Program. You'll find applications at County Farm Bureau offices throughout the state on the Rural Illinois Medical Student Assistance Program website, or you can get additional information on the scholarship and how to apply by getting in touch with Donna Galavan at the Illinois Farm Bureau, phone number 309-557-2350, scholarships for the Nurse Practitioner Scholarship Program in rural communities. So make note of that because there's money there, and if you qualify, it will certainly help with your medical education. And then another program that was announced this week, Midwest Dairy Association announced the first class of the Dairy Experience and Agricultural Leadership Program, known as DEAL, D-E-A-L, It's a new initiative that will help develop the dairy leaders of tomorrow. It's an 18-month program providing an opportunity for young dairy farmers across the region to gain a deeper understanding of dairy checkoff while strengthening skills for engaging with consumers, conducting media interviews, and networking with industry professionals and peers. The 2020-21 class of participants selected using a competitive application process that included written essays and farmer uh, references. The 15 young dairy farmers ages 40 and younger represent dairy farm families from across the Midwest dairy region, and they've demonstrated a passion for sharing their stories and helping lead the future of dairy farming. So congratulations to the class that was announced this week, and uh, it will be the first of an annual group that uh, will have the opportunity to go into the Dairy Experience and Agricultural Leadership Program. And speaking of the Agricultural Leadership Program, for years in Illinois, We have had the Illinois Agricultural Leadership Foundation. I was part of the board of that group for quite a few years, uh, and uh, it continues to uh, move forward with a two-year program to help create the leaders of tomorrow for the world of agriculture. And now applications are being accepted for the next crop, the uh, two-year program known as the Illinois Agricultural Leadership Foundation. It has been very successful in building leaders that have served on school boards, served on hospital boards, served on farm bureau boards, and uh, have had the opportunity to speak on behalf of agriculture and help people understand what it is that puts food on your table roof over your head, clothes on your back, and now fuel in the tank. So applications are available. 
Just go online to the Illinois Agricultural Leadership Program and you'll be able to get that information. A little bit more to talk about here on the Saturday Morning Show. Uh, we have a busy farm meeting schedule still to happen before we get into the field to plant. And we'll run through that list and a couple of other things that I want to share on this Saturday Morning Show when we continue. Since agriculture is international these days, we do have to keep a track on crop production in other parts of the world. And of course, while it's wintertime in North America, it is summertime in South America. And our latest report on harvest of the Brazilian soybean crop, they, as of this week, had harvested 15.7% of the soybean acres planted in Brazil. And that's down a little more than 10% from where we were at this same time last year in South American harvest. And so we'll continue to watch weather in other parts of the world. As far as our own markets here in the United States, we ended the week yesterday with March wheat up three cents a bushel, March corn up four cents a bushel, March soybeans up a penny and three quarters a bushel, and the close at the Chicago Board of Trade yesterday. Livestock futures at the Mercantile Exchange, we had a day or two of daily limit up moves, particularly in the lean hog futures contract. At the end of the week, at the end of the day yesterday, April lean hogs were up a dollar fifty-five cents a hundredweight at sixty-six dollars twenty-five cents. April live cattle down twelve cents at one nineteen sixty-two a hundredweight. And the April feeder cattle contract ended the day yesterday down twenty cents a hundredweight. On the farm calendar, well, a big outdoor farm show coming up next week. It'll be World Ag Expo in Tulare, California, attracting 100,000 people starting Tuesday and closing on Thursday. So that's our time. As always, we thank Bob Ferguson for doing the engineering work. We'll be back in the Midwest next week, and uh, we'll be a little closer to our Midwest studio. And uh, we appreciate your joining us here on the Saturday Morning Show. Orion Samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on WGN. Hear his reports weekday mornings on the Steve Cochran Show and during the noon hour on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio 720.